is Jesus. That's what we've been dealing with last week and and this week. In fact, that is the, the theme of the gospel of John. Last week, we started a series. We're going verse by verse through John chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 13. And we're seeking to find the answer to that question, who is Jesus? Now, it is Jesus' will that you know who he is. That's his will. And not only does he want you to know who he is, he wants you to believe in him and trust him as your Savior and your Lord. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, John's purpose is expressly stated in this gospel. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So many people in our world today are living their lives, but they have no spiritual life. Can I tell you that your spiritual life is more important than your physical life? Your physical life one day is going to come to an end. If you don't believe it, go to a graveyard. Everybody in the graveyard is dead, I promise you. Your physical life will come to an end. But your spiritual life, because God created you with an immortal soul, will be around forever and ever and ever. And what you decide about Jesus, what you do with Jesus, will determine where you will spend eternity. Our new series of sermons here, we've entitled it Discovering Jesus. As you know, there are four Gospels, and each of them betrayed Jesus in a different way. In Matthew, who wrote for a Jewish audience, he he portrayed Jesus as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Mark wrote for a Roman audience, and he presented Jesus as a servant, the servant. Luke wrote for a broader Gentile Greek audience and presents Jesus as the son of man. But John wrote for the whole world and John presents Jesus as the son of the living God. In the New Testament, God's communication to the human race reached its climax. John's gospel highlights this in his prologue. Now, the the word prologue literally means the word before the word. And that's what verses 1 to 18 of chapter 1 is. And we're going to finish that prologue section this morning. I want you to hear what what, uh, D.A. Carson had to say. He said the prologue, verses 1 to 18, summarizes how the Son of God was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed. The rest of the book, the gospel, is nothing other than an expansion of this theme. So who is Jesus? Now, if you go out in 
the, on the street and you ask people who is Jesus, you could get a, a variety of answers. But if you really want to know who Jesus is, go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. Listen to what the Word of God has to say about Jesus of Nazareth. Here, I've got one thing I want to say to you today. One thing I want to drive home like driving a nail into a piece of wood. I want you to hear me. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You say, Pastor, you don't know that. I need more money. I, I need my career to take off. I, I need for my wife to be happy with me. I, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't need anything more than you need Jesus, I promise you. Number one, you need Jesus. Now, I want to show you eight reasons why you need Jesus today. Based upon who the Bible says he is. Number one, when we covered some of these last week, and we're going to do a refresher and review this morning to catch everybody up, and then we'll move into some new territory. Number one, Jesus is eternal in nature. In John 1, 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus was continuously in existence before anything was ever created. He predates cre uh, creation. So who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is eternal in nature. Number two, Jesus is the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. God, that, that little word with carries the idea of face-to-face, -face, speaking of an intimate relationship that Jesus, the Son of God, had with the, the, the Father, God the Father. Now, I, I want you to understand that God the Father is God the Father and Jesus is God the Son. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things to whom also he made the world. Now we believe in one God that has eternally existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So who is Jesus? Well, we know, number one, he is eternal in nature. Number two, we know he is the son of God, the only begotten son of God, the unique son of God. Number three, we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. In John 1, 1 and 14, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word, now listen to this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now understand that John the Apostle was uh, uh, real close to Jesus. He and Peter and James were real close to Jesus. They were the inner circle. And when John says that he saw his glory, 
I want you to imagine for just a moment what he saw. I want you to imagine being up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when Jesus of Nazareth was suddenly transfigured before the eyes of these three apostles. And they saw the Shekinah glory of Jesus for the first time in their lives. Can you imagine what that was like? We, he, he said, we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Think about the glory of seeing the Son of God crucified on the cross of Calvary, becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think of the glory that John experienced when he and Peter raced to the, the tomb after three days and they saw that the tomb was empty and Jesus had risen from the dead. Think about the glory that John witnessed when they saw Jesus ascend back into heaven. Oh, I tell you, when he said he saw the glory of Jesus, he saw the glory of Jesus. He knows what he's talking about. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus was, is, and forever will be fully God and fully man. So who is Jesus? He's eternal in nature. He's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. You see why I tell you that you need Jesus? I mean, you need Jesus, folks. Nobody can do for you what Jesus can do for you. You can chase pleasure all your life, and you'll never find any pleasure that will come remotely close to the satisfaction that the Lord Jesus Christ can bring to your soul and your life. So who is Jesus? Number four, Jesus is the creator. In John 1, 3, the Bible says all things came into being through him, speaking of Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It's almost like God the Father planned creation and God the Son carried out the, the creation. Jesus created everything from nothing, nothing. He didn't take something that was already in existence and remake it and reshape it. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. Who is Jesus? Well, he's eternal in nature. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the creator. And, and number five, Jesus is the author of life. In John 1, 4 and 5, in him was life. The word life there is the Greek word zoe. And it means spiritual life. Now, there's another word in the Greek, and it's translated uh, life sometime, but it is bios, and it refers to physical life. In him was life, zoe, spiritual life, and the life, the spiritual life of Christ was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, I want you to know this, when the reference to light here, light is God's life manifested in, in the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all that we've gone over this, these five things we've said about Jesus already this morning, it's a review from last week. But I want to show you three more things about Jesus from verses 6 all the way to verse 18 
that will bless your heart. And I think we'll seal the deal as to why I'm challenging you to realize that you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Here's, here's what we, we're going to see. Number six, you need Jesus because Jesus is the true light. He's the true light. John the Apostle introduces John the Baptist into this important discussion. Look at verses 6 through 9. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, it's not John the Apostle here. He's talking about John the Baptist. Now, if you've read much about John the Baptist in the Bible, you know that he was an unusual fellow. He dressed strangely. He ate strange food. You remember what the Bible says about him? He lived out in the wilderness. He wore rough garments and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I've never eaten a locust before. And I'm not sure I ever want to eat a locust. But evidently, it was good for John the Baptist because it gave him a lot of energy and a lot of fire, and he was a, pre, a prophet, prophetic preacher like you've never seen before. Remember, his goal was to go to the people of Israel and to preach to them that the Messiah had come, to repent and get your life right because he's coming. He's come. He's here. You need to be ready for him. So there came a man sent from John whose name was John, John the Baptist, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. There again, we see the purpose of the book. It is God's will that you believe in Jesus. It is God's will that you have your sins forgiven and that you receive spiritual life and that you receive the kind of life that God wants you to have. Verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John Baptist never claimed to be Jesus. He never claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed that he was a forerunner sent to bear witness to the fact that Jesus had come. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, the work of John the Baptist was deliberately focused on bringing people to faith in Jesus, the Messiah. Warren Wiersbe highlighted the importance of this mighty prophet of God. By the way, this is the first time in 400 years in Jewish history that a prophet had arisen, sent from God to speak for God. The first time in 400 years. Don't you think that would get some folks' attention? Well, here's what... Warren Wiersbe said, he said, John the Baptist is one of the most important persons in the New Testament. He is mentioned at least 89 times, and John had the special privilege of introducing Jesus to the nation of Israel. He also had the difficult task of preparing the nation to receive their Messiah. He called them to repent of their sins. And to prove that repentance by being baptized and then by living changed lives. You, you see, John the Baptist understood something. 
He understood that if you truly believe in Jesus, if you commit yourself to Jesus, your life will change. Your life will change. I tell you, that truth is, is carried out throughout the rest of the New Testament. The idea that you can believe in Jesus and remain the same is absolutely foreign to the teaching of the Bible. The Bible says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So John the Baptist fulfilled Old Testament prophecies about the forerunner that God would send ahead of the Messiah. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, we find one of those prophecies. Listen to it. God said 400 years, over 400 years before John the Baptist ever showed up on the earth, Malachi, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God says 400 years before it ever happened that Messiah is coming. He's coming. You've been looking for him. You've been longing for him since the days of Adam and Eve. You've been longing for him since the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, he's coming. And I'm sending my messenger before him. And John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. You say, Pastor, why do you believe the Bible? I've got several reasons for believing the Bible. One of the main reasons I believe the Bible is because of the, the proof of fulfilled prophecies. That, that the Bible would contain a fact that was 400 years in the making and that it would come true exactly the way God said it would come true. That tells me that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. I believe it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. So a witness is one who tells what he knows to be true. A witness, you get on a witness stand, they're not asking you to give your opinion. They don't care a rip about your opinion. They're asking you to tell what you know to be true on that witness stand. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. He pointed to Jesus and declared that he was the true light, the Messiah that Jews have been longing for. You know, as I read that, I thought about this. Isn't it strange that John the Baptist would have to point out to the covenant people of God that Jesus is the true light? Now, what does that mean? It means that they were in darkness, right? They were blind. They were spiritually blind. Now, here's, a, here's, here's what I want to catch you up on again. Who is Jesus? He's eternal in nature. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He is the creator. He's the author of life. And he is, listen, he is the true light. Now, there are a lot of false lights out here today. You do know that, don't you? There's only one true light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I am a, a light of the world. He said, I am the light 
of the world. He's the true light. And here's number seven. You ready? Jesus is the only Savior. He's the only Savior. Well, pastor, you know, I believe this or I believe that. I believe Buddha. I believe, I believe what Mohammed taught about Islam. I, I, believe, I believe, pastor, that there's a part of God in everybody and everybody's going to go to heaven when they die. Well, you can believe that, but you would be wrong. You would be wrong. You, you say, pastor, how can you say I'm wrong? Because I know what the Bible says. You see, the Bible should be our final source for faith and practice. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus is the only Savior that God has provided for the human race. There is no other Savior. In John 1, 9 to 13, the Bible says there was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Listen, there are only two responses to the reality of who Jesus is, just two. Number one, you can reject what the Bible says about Jesus. You can reject everything that I'm preaching this morning, and you can do that to your own peril. Or number two, you can receive the truth about Jesus. You can embrace it. You can welcome it into your life. And I tell you, friend, if you welcome it into your life, it will change your life like never before. There are only two responses. The world as a whole, have you noticed, has rejected Jesus. They rejected him in the first century. And the world today has totally rejected Jesus as, as a whole. How is that possible, you say? How could the world turn a deaf ear to Jesus and what he says? How could the world be so spiritually blind that they would not believe that he is who he said he is. Well, John answers that in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. He wrote, this is a judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. It does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. How do you explain that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul wrote these words. In whose case, the little g, little g, not capital G, but the little g God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever wondered why some folks that you really care about just can't understand who Jesus is and will not, under any circumstances, commit their lives to him? Have you ever wondered why that happened? This little G God of the world refers to the devil. And you see what the devil does? He 
He takes his own devious plans and his own devious means and, and he blinds, brings spiritual blindness to people so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're blind. Then the Bible says this. Not only did the world reject the incarnated Messiah, but Israel did too. The Bible says he came to his own. His own. Literally, it could be translated, Jesus came home. He came home to the promised land. He came home to the covenant people of God. He came home and the people of Israel the covenant people of God rejected Jesus by, by and large. There's a wonderful contrast here, though, in verses 12 and 13. I love verse 12 and 13. You got all this rejection in, in verse, uh, verses uh, 9, 10, 11, and then you come to verses 12 and 13. Look at them with me. But, I'm going to tell you what, I love the, the buts in the Bible. I love those. You know why? Because every one of them presents a contrast. So you got all this rejection going on, and then you got this word, but, and it, it ought to alert you. It, it, it ought to cause you to sit on the edge of your seat because you're about to get something good. Here's what the Bible says. But as many as received him, as many as welcomed him into their lives, as many as believed in him and committed their lives to Jesus, but as many as received him to them... To them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Anyone, listen, anyone who will receive Jesus for who he really is by faith will be given the right to become a child of God. Can I ask you a question? Are you a child of God? Not, not by your definition, not by the world's definition. I'm asking you, are you a child of God? If you were to die today, are you 100% for certain that you'd go to heaven and you would spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in the glories of that wonderful, beautiful place? Are you sure? The Bible says you can be sure. The Bible says you can know whether you're a child of God or not. And it all hinges on one thing. It hinges on whether you will receive him by faith as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says if you do, that the Holy Spirit of God will cause you to be born again. Right there in verse 13. You'll be born again. You'll become a new person in Christ. You'll have new desires. 
new dreams, new purpose, new power that you've never had before. Oh, I can't understand why people would reject Jesus when he makes all this wonderful stuff available to them. Don't you want to know that all your sins are forgiven? Don't you want to know that one day you could stand before the throne of a holy, holy, holy God, blameless with great joy? Only Jesus could do that for you. That's why I say you need Jesus. Listen, who is this Jesus? That's what we're trying to answer. He's eternal in nature. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the creator. He's the author of life. He's the true light. He's the only savior. And number eight, last one. Jesus reveals God to you. Jesus is the revealer of God. Have you ever asked a question? I wonder what God's like. I wonder if God is angry. We just sang about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The Bible says in Nahum 1-7, God is good, a stronghold of the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Oh, listen, dear friend. Do you know God? Do you have questions about God? Do you ever wonder, will God forgive me for this? What's heaven going to be like? God has all those answers, but Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came. God sent him to this earth so that he could reveal who God is to humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Dr. Roy Beeman made this observation. I quote, he said, his incarnation, the fact that Jesus, who was God, became a man. His incarnation means that Jesus as God became a man. He did more than assume a human body. He became a man, sin accepted. Jesus had no sin. He became what he had not been, a man. He remained what he had always been, God. Christ incarnate is therefore the God-man. And John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and his supremacy. In John chapter 1 verse 15, John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, to tie his sandals. That was the lowliest job of a servant. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals of my Savior. The supremacy of Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Nobody. He's the unique, only begotten Son of the living God. And John the, the Apostle then, in verse 16, pointed to Jesus who revealed that God has an infinite supply of grace to meet every need we have in our lives. John 1, 16, the Bible says, for of his fullness... We have all received and grace upon grace. 
I want you to understand something. Jesus came to reveal to us as a human race that God loves us. And he loves you. He really does. And Jesus came to reveal that God has this storehouse of unmerited favor, grace, to help you be who he wants you to be. You, you may have an addiction. And you need grace for the next 24 hours. And, and, and you make a, a withdrawal from the, the grace of God. I'll tell you, friend, when you make that withdrawal on Monday, I'll tell you, when you go back on Tuesday, it is refilled. It, there's an unlimited supply of the grace of God. You say, well, God, forgive me for what I've done. Absolutely. He forgives you by his grace and by his mercy. And John the Apostle pointed to Jesus and the new way God relates to us in verse 17 of chapter 1. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Wearsby said this, if God dealt with us according to truth, none of us would survive. And that's true, isn't it? We're all sinners. We've made a mess of our lives but when you come to that point and the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment and brings you to your knees in brokenhearted sorrow and you cry out to God, oh God, save me, Jesus, save me, forgive me, make me a new person. I tell you, he'll do it. Amen. If God dealt with us according to truth, none of us would survive, but he deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Jesus Christ and his life Death and resurrection met all the demands of the, the, the Old Testament law. Now God is free to share fullness of grace with those who trust Christ. And finally, John the Apostle pointed to Jesus as the only one who can explain God for us. No, nobody can explain God to you but Jesus. You can go to the the, the, the most famous university on the planet. And you can talk to the highest ranking professors on the planet. And I'm telling you that they cannot explain God to you. Only Jesus can explain God to you. Amen. In John 1.18, the Bible says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, that's Jesus, he has explained him. Literally, the, the word explain means he has exegeted him. He has exegeted, he's explained God for us. So what is God like? Is he compassionate? Is he forgiving? Is he a just God? Is he powerful enough to overcome evil? What does he have planned for the world? The Bible is God's word transcribed. Jesus is God's word personified, and he reveals God to us. So here's my conclusion. You need Jesus. You need him. If you've already believed in him, you need him every day. You need to draw near to Jesus every day. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to seek his face. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. 
But listen, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, like it says in John 1, 12, and 13, if you cannot legitimately say based upon that definition in verses 12 and 13 that you're a child of God, I would beg you today, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. Believe in his name. If you do, the Bible says that you'll become a child of God. The Bible says that you'll be born again and you'll become a new person in Christ. I'm here to tell you today you need Jesus because Jesus is eternal in nature. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the only Savior. And Jesus is the revealer of God. You need Jesus. So I ask you to respond today. You notice in this scripture right here, there were two responses. Most of the people rejected Jesus. But there were some who received him and believed in his name. They became children of God. So I want to invite you to come to Jesus today. I ask you, are you a child of God? Now, you don't become a child of God because you join a church. You don't become a child of God because you're baptized in a baptistry. It has nothing to do with it. Listen, the only way you can become a child of God is to receive Jesus, to welcome him into your life as, as your Savior and your Lord and to believe in his name. Are you ready to do that today? I'm going to ask our, our worship team and our staff to come and we're going to give you a chance to respond just the way they responded in the first century. I'm praying, I'm praying that not a single person within the sound of my voice, whether you're watching live stream or, or whether you're here in this room today, that not a single person will reject Jesus today. You say, Pastor, my life's a mess. I'm too far gone. Can I tell you something? You're not too far gone for Jesus. I, I, I'll remind you, when Jesus was crucified, there was a guy crucified right next to him. In fact, two, two thieves were crucified right next to him. And one thief rejected Jesus. And one thief turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said to him? He didn't say this. He said, man, your life is such a mess, I could never save you. He didn't say that. You know what he said? He said to that thief, he said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, Jesus loves you. He can save you and change you. Come to Christ. Just come to one of our, our staff members. Just tell them today, I want to be saved. I want to be a child of God. And then if you're already a believer here in this room, I want to ask you a question. Does your character, the way you live, reflect who Jesus is, does it? 
or, or is there some kind of hypocrisy going on? You, you, you say that you believe in him, and yet your character, the way you live, does not match what you say you believe about Jesus. Oh, listen, come to the altar. Just bow before the Lord. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to live for you. Help me to honor you. You know what I pray every day? It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul said, my ambition is to please Jesus. You know, I can't please Jesus yesterday. It's gone. I can't please him tomorrow. It's not here. The only day I can please Jesus is today. And I invite you to come to this altar and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to reorder your life, to help you to be who he's called you to be based upon who he is. Got one more question for you. With whom do you need to share this? There's somebody in your life, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, an acquaintance, and they're lost. They're spiritually blind. Share this with them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you would love us so much that you would send your only begotten son to this planet, to the human race, to save us from our sins and to give us life. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would move in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. And I pray that we would see people receive Jesus and be gloriously saved. In Christ's name, amen.